You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Let's talk about SEO quickly. This whole search engine optimization thing. People are frustrated by it, confused by it, and there are so many SEO tools out there. Free ones, subscription ones. Which one's the best? Do you ever feel like it's been this dark art, this mystic craft hidden for only certain people to understand? Well, here at Jelly, it all became clear when we started using Ahrefs. The reports we got, the clarity on site ranking, and so much more. Today, for all our clients, we provide Ahrefs reporting and use the tool to audit sites. It's the premier SEO tool that gives you the confidence you're providing top-notch reports and data to your clients. Let the only confusing thing be how the tool's name is said. Check them out at ahrefs.com. Well, thanks everyone for coming to another week of Marketing Jam. This is a very special one as uh, it has been many years uh, coming for Fab and I to reconnect. Uh, for years there, Fab would come out to Vancouver for what was called Google Partner Events. And we would host these events uh, one time in an airplane hangar, helicopter hangar. Uh, one time at Hootsuite's headquarters, they would uh, love to host us there. And, and it was amazing, engaging, exciting, um, inspiring, really educational. And so, Fab, thank you. I know we can't meet in person, but this is the next best thing. This is great. I love that we get to reconnect. And those events were easily some of my best career moments in terms of memories. You guys were so um, gracious as, as hosts. And like, yeah, that airplane hangar, just for context for the listeners. I think we did one event downtown Vancouver, and then you put us in a helicopter to go out. I don't know where it was, but it just like the... Okay, so uh, and we've you know got to uh, to go out there in the helicopter and and do another event there. So it was just like the most um, you know once in a lifetime sort of experience in terms of getting to to see British Columbia from uh, from that angle. Just amazing. So yeah, thank and you. And even in context as well, we even took you to Abbotsford at one point for an event, which was great in a in a That's kind of true. abandoned nightclub and uh, <laughs> and the Terminal City Club as well, which is one of our classiest kind of. Uh, business clubs downtown so yeah you're 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 making you miss the west coast it's uh, i like you know I, I long for the day when i can travel again but uh one of the places i gotta hit up for sure is vancouver and, and see you see you all again that would be amazing uh, so fab that those that don't know you what is your story that got you into marketing and the, and the role you're in today yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that I have like a particularly awe-inspiring story, but I, I started like a lot of people did in in marketing, and that's in the consumer packaged goods industry. So coming out of school, this was 2007 was my internship, 2008, full-time, went to General Mills. So Nature Valley, uh, granola bars, Cheerios, uh, Green Giant at the time. So cut my teeth on those types of traditional brands, so a lot of retail work, a lot of general management in the marketing space and very much like building brands and launching new products. About sort of three years into that gig, I had an itch to do something else. It was right around the time when there was only a handful of people in the office who had a smartphone. I happened to be one of those that then there, therefore qualified me to run the digital team at the time. I was like, all right, you seem to understand this stuff. You have an iPhone, great. Um, so yeah, so I got to, uh, to start uh, with you know these like legacy brands and build our first search campaigns, social media uh, uh, campaigns, a lot of rudimentary uh, content marketing. Uh, General Mills for the longest time in Canada, one of the largest uh, content marketing platforms for recipe ideas and offers and uh, and so on, and that became the the window into sort of the platform space and what Facebook was doing, what Google was doing. And one thing led to another. I took a contract role at Google and just it was like three or four people in the office at the time from a marketing perspective. And that role was the role that that, that we met through, which was like, hey, can you help uh, agencies and small businesses and, and, and then became large advertisers understand how to market on our platforms? And, uh, and, and so, and since then I've just been sort of like bouncing around from role to role and, and most recently, of course, for the last five years, uh, heading up our marketing team as a whole here in country. That's amazing. So one exciting announcement, Google has launched a bunch of products and, and I'm just so curious to know about what some of the products are and, and what was it like launching products during COVID? 
Well, yeah, I mean, this year, just in like, you know, um, uh, I think it's been a difficult year for everybody, but a really great year to just learn what really matters within the context of our craft as marketers, what our audiences really care for. Um, and, you know, so we're, you know, of course, we recently had our uh, our virtual launch events for uh, the new Pixel lineup, the new uh, Nest uh, products and so on. Um, but we've been you know, switching to, to virtual content, virtual events, uh, right from sort of the earliest days of, of the pandemic. Like in Canada, for years, we've hosted um, virtual training events. We have an upfront event that for YouTube that's always been in person, always been you know a thousand plus people and so on. And we had it planned. Everything was planned, booked, all the speakers done, all the content. We were ready to go. And of course, the you know world changes around us, and we had to turn turn this event format into a twenty minute. Um, direct to each individual marketer piece of content, and we, you know, we thought ourselves of ourselves as content marketers before that, uh, but really we knew kind of one one type of content well, which was the written word, uh, whether it's blogs, whether it's um, you know white papers, that kind of thing. And so we had to learn a more visual craft uh, for for that brand cast uh, event, and it's not too dissimilar from what we just had to do now on the the hardware side of the business and learn how to launch products virtually. And I think it just actually, um, you know, uh, it's exciting to, to learn new things, of course. And I think it allows us to uh, uh, to cut through a little bit more, especially to our, our users who really are, are reaching out and craving this information and want to uh, know more about our products. That core audience hasn't left us. And this actually just makes us all that much more accessible to them because it's not a closed door event in New York and you're hoping that it spreads through uh, traditional and non-traditional media. This gives our users direct access. And so I haven't got my hands on, on my Pixel yet, my Pixel 5. Uh, as I was saying before the show, I'm getting it, I think next Wednesday or Thursday. But so I'm, I'm really excited about the lineup uh, of phones, of course. I think you're a Nest fan, right? So, um, so hopefully you're gonna be um, adding another device to to your family's uh, household there, but yeah, it's a. I think that that that's what's been refreshing is just I think this year's been giving us an opportunity to cut the fat on a lot of uh, a lot of muscle memory or like old behaviors that just uh, aren't necessary from a marketing perspective anymore. I remember we would do these uh, large scale events that you would come in for about 150 200 people, uh, and then between those uh, we used to get this box. Uh, and it was a Google event box. And inside of it was like a Starbucks gift card, a bunch of Google notepads, some pens and a shirt. And then we would live stream in some kind of updates and training. It was really awesome. So I think you guys had figured it out before most. It's great. I mean, like in those, in those events were amazing, but I just like now we, um, you know, and we're look like, I'd like to believe that we are still uh, innovative and still as, as fast as ever, but the truth is we're quite a large organization, especially compared to, to those days. And um, when the, the pandemic hit, in the first three months following that, our team quadrupled the amount of content um, that we created. So just in that, those three months versus all of last year by just moving people around and saying, look, um, I know you're not a writer um, per se, but you're writing now and you're you're creating content and you're gonna come up with ideas and you're gonna mine our data for insights and all these things. And so I think I just, I applaud my team for just embracing the moment and doing this. And so, and of course, like what panned out was um, not every piece of content was a winner. Not every idea was like the greatest thing ever, but on aggregate, uh, we've explored new areas and have way more uh, loyalty amongst our uh, our core audiences. Uh, we've come out with new ways of working internally with our own teams and have better insights than ever, bef ever before. And so what I see coming forward for 2021 for us, because we're in the middle of our planning season right now, is that I just don't think we're ever going to go back to marketing in the same way uh, before. And so, you know, if we can be thankful for anything of this year, it's definitely the silver lining of getting to uh, rethink the way that we've been uh, going to market um, in the past and and be able to embrace these behaviors without really any downside risk. Yeah. 
No, it makes sense. And, and one thing about speaking of Google products, um, I think anyone who was a Spotify premium member got an early Christmas present uh, with a, a you know Google Home device was sent to them as a, as a yeah. I don't know why, just because yeah. I think because I was a Spotify member, it was awesome. Yeah, I love those those types of promos. They 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 come and go really quickly because they're they're highly redeemed. Um, but it's it's a great uh, partnership. And we uh, you know of course um, you know we we love people who use YouTube Music, but we love people who use uh, Spotify just as much. And it's uh, I think the the Nest family is intriguing for me because there's so many different solutions that work, and it it allows you to um, think about these products in a way that really suits your lifestyle. So for some people, it's really about the smart home and about controlling various devices and sort of nerding out on on uh, sort of convenient solutions with lighting, with other sort of things. For other folks, it's more about entertainment, of course, like there's this, this security aspect of it. And so uh, I actually, like I, every time I talk to someone who's a Nest customer, it's one of these things where it sort of actually means something different for each and every one of them. So I'm glad you redeem that offer. Um, I, I'd be curious about what your guilty pleasure uh, Spotify playlist is uh, of the moment. You know what? Okay, two things on that, on, on the Google. What happened with this was uh, my daughter, who is six, figured out, hey, Google, and will constantly ask to play hand clap by, uh, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fits. I think it's fits in the something or others, tantrums. But she, upset. so eventually we had to like figure out a way so she can't constantly have the same song playing all the time. Yeah, you got to use a voice match and just get different um, sort of. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> um, but on uh, Spotify playlists, I I depends on the mood, depends on the time of day. So yeah, um, yeah. and sometimes I'll even just roll the dice and let Spotify give me a list of a suggestions or a throwback. And I, and I like it when Spotify kind of does that for me. It reminds yeah. me of my brother. Tyler used to make me CDs all the time, like mixing. Yeah. It's like Spotify is like my brother. Yeah, let 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 Spotify take the wheel. I mean, my PR team is going to kill me for doing a two-minute Spotify ad, but we do we do we do love them as as, as partners, especially in in the Nest space. So I'm glad I'm glad you got to uh, to take part in that. I, I like it. It comes and goes so quickly that I inevitably I always get a message from a family member or a friend that's like, "Hey, where's the offer? Is it gone already?" I'm like, "Yeah, that basically lasted 24 hours." Sorry. <laughs> um. Speaking of marketers right now, speaking of things changing so much, what are ways that marketers should be uh, updating their goals, objectives in these kind of like uncertain, crazy times? Yeah, I, I we, we started chatting about this before the call, but like for me, um, there's a wholesale revision in terms of marketing process and the operations of marketing. So we've always been very big on goal setting and tracking our progress against, we call them OKRs, objectives, key results. Um, and so we've had this um, very um, formulaic approach over the years to add some science to it. So uh, there's an annual process that then is a quarterly process and so on. But inherent in goal setting and establishing targets or forecasts for sales uh, or promotions or whatever it might be, is you need some level of certainty in the world, right? Whether, and, and that certainty usually comes from the past being able to be a good predictor of the future. And of course, uh, as we all sort of know right now, like the past is not a good predictor of the future because we're completely in uncharted uh, territory at this point. And so very early on, we looked at that and realized that a lot of our marketing process for establishing objectives and measurement was fundamentally flawed now. Uh, we had we just have bad data in, in the soup there. So, uh, so one of the things that we, we switched to early on on our team was shifting away from strict goals and more to general principles. So I wanted to give uh, my team more of a a like a set of guidelines or rules of thumb where on any given decision that they're trying to make, focus on this product versus that product, um, on this campaign, what are you? What um, would be the North Star metrics? Give them a framework that they could better make those decisions. So, for example, like often, um, you know, we get into conversations about things like, you know, what's the uh, what's the long term strategic value of something versus the short term profit, right? 
And picking one versus the other can have you behave in very different ways because you would prioritize different products, uh, different partnerships, uh, different marketing tactics, whatever it might be, brand versus digital, retail versus non-retail, all this kind of stuff. And so that was the kind of space where it was really important to to give my team a set of overarching principles. So, you know, I won't get into the like the, the nitty-gritty of it, of course, for obvious reasons, but I might say, hey, for these two sets of products or these brands, um, they're still vital for us in the long-term future of the company. And even, even with the challenging times that we're in, I want you to prioritize sort of long-term metrics. And that's the, and so I'm not gonna give you the hard targets because I think like it's anybody's guess um, what consumer confidence is gonna be in, in, uh, in three or four quarters. But um, I want you to think long-term on this. On these businesses, I want you to be much more short-term profitability focused. And so when you're thinking about marketing tactics and choosing which media vehicles, when you're thinking about which partnerships, I want you to think about what will drive the most amount of near-term dollars in our bank account. So these types of principles were really helpful. Principles like um, in the ad space, um, I'm not going to be looking over your shoulder every day, but just make sure that you're helping small businesses recover through the pandemic. Like that sort of like guide uh, uh, line for, for the team. So that that was one thing that was really, really big is just switching how, um, how we actually establish goals. Um, certainly measurement is uh, symbolic of the same sort of ethos where we felt like, um, you know, like you take... Uh, something that was really critical for us um, or, or sort of just like a standard thing that we would do, which um, uh, market level comparisons. So it's very common for us to say, okay, we're going to take uh, Toronto and we're going to take Calgary. And those are our two comparison markets, A, B, and we're going to do this here and going to do this there, right? Well, when uh, Toronto and Calgary are in different phases of a pandemic, different government policies, different user attitudes, that kind of stuff went out the window and we couldn't do a lot of the basic type of measurement um, that was uh, that we just considered uh, sort of standard. So um, I don't know that there's like one way to have solved that, but I think a lot of it for us has been just the recognition that um, the past now is a very poor predictor of the present and the future. Um, and so, so that was thematically number one, it changed how we set targets, it changed how we uh, measure things uh, in uh, in post. And I think the, the, the other sort of like big thematic area is that we've been trying to, in our budget process and the way that we work, build in a lot more real-time flexibility. Um, so it probably won't surprise you that the Google guy pulled all of his money out of traditional um, media or at least traditional media that you have to buy in advance and put it into digital so that like I can flex up or down with audiences wherever they might shift. Um, and that's actually in like for your audience, like it's um, relevant to say that I've taken, <laughs> I've taken a lot of heat over the years from our salespeople because I've actually invested quite a bit in things like traditional TV. Um, like you were doing a Chrome cat, like the, like the Chrome um, browser you were telling the story about how you guys advertise oh, yeah. on yeah and, and everywhere else. I remember. Yeah. So so I've always been like um for for my money it's always been um sort of like a we used to call it flipping the funnel and um and essentially we start with what is what's the uh what's the targeting methodology, let's say, um, or the, the media vehicle that has the most amount of information, most qualified users. So I love search because it's usually people putting up their hand and saying, I want this product now. Great. So usually you kind of start with like a core of direct response there, and then you you can widen that um, and with um, with reasonable confidence for things like similar audiences and uh, and remarketing tools and so on, um, uh, email retention campaigns, whatever it might be, and that's your like outer circle, and then you might get into um, um, sort of like more broad-based uh, marketing vehicles on on digital, um, like say like a YouTube masthead or something, um, uh, or more sort of like demographic targeting or sort of in-market targeting where you don't know that this person's like directly putting up their hand, I want to buy your car right now, but you can you know that they're interested in cars and, and they might be in market, you can infer that. And eventually you get to this point where you have less and less data, but um, but maybe you happen to be fortunate enough if you like for your enterprise listeners, you might be fortunate enough to still have enough money to do 
out of home and TV and some of these things that we know are inherently a bit more wasteful, but they're mass, they're mass uh, reach in nature. And so I've always, that's, that's always been my marketing philosophy. It's just invest in what you know um, will work the hardest and just keep investing until you've fully topped it up and then you go to the next vehicle. And so, um, but this year, um, you know, that is still the philosophy, but there's been this new wrinkle of, yeah, but the audiences are wildly shifting in real time. The um, the economics of each uh, vehicle are changing in real time. So like if you look at um, TV, right? So uh, TV for us over the last few years has largely um, become sports um, when we think about it from a media buying perspective, because that's where people are still really leaned in. It's live. Um, very highly qualified audience tends to be younger um, uh, overall. Um, but you know, as we all know, like sports was canceled and um, and it's slowly come back, but it's come back in sort of an unpredictable way. So on a normal buying timeline where our media agency would come to us and say, hey, it's May, the uh, TV networks want you to commit to your fall uh, media buy or it's or it's now the fall of 2020 and we want you to commit to your January buy. I honestly don't know what the world's going to be like in, in that stage. So that's where I've been moving dollars much more to flexible um, and sort of or, or agile platforms. Not surprising that a lot of that is like YouTube for me, but we buy we buy broadly against all of the digital platforms, um, and I feel like I'm protected then because if like if you take the sports example, if sports comes back online, uh, you know, a league takes their time off and then they come back online, uh, not online in the actual online sense, but they're just, they're, they're on again. Um, well, you know, how do people consume sports? Well, they'll, they'll watch it um, on, uh, on linear TV or non-linear TV. And then they'll go to something like YouTube or they'll go to Twitter and they'll go to Facebook and they'll go to all these platforms to then talk about it. So I can still ride the wave up by having parked my dollars in digital, but I'm not locked into anything. So I think that, I, that thematically, the other big shift for us in terms of planning has been to be really agile. And I think the last one that's worth spending some time on, but this is more just general business management, is we've had to look in the mirror a lot and make tough calls on what we're gonna cut and what we're not gonna cut. And I think that uh, when I compared um, early on with, uh, with some of my peers at other companies, that's actually the hardest thing of all. The marketing 101, we can all figure it out, but it's the difficult internal conversations that like, we've been working on this product for years, we wanted to launch it, now the world has really changed, how do we cut all of the funding from that and go back to you know something else? Or that that's Those are the harder conversations, I think. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, and, and you never know, right? Even, even what the market's gonna receive. Yeah, I mean, like, um, yeah, I <laughs> I joked um, uh, on a conversation maybe a couple of months back, like, and and sort of an internal meme for us is like, is this banana bread or is it e-commerce? And the reason we were asking this question is because you can't predict it all of it like early on, like you know, yeah, okay, the run on toilet paper is the thing. Then it's like we're all making banana bread, and that's a thing. And then like, so um, so Dance, jogging pants, exactly. So it's really hard to be ahead of the curve on those things. Um, but at the same time- Trends could predict the future. It tells you what's now and what was recent, but the future, you haven't figured that out yet, right? I mean, if, if we had figured that that out, I think our, our marketing team would be a lot more sophisticated. I mean, I think like I give our, our team credit for a lot of things, but I, uh, yeah, it would be it would be nice to uh, to be able to uh, uh, to have that sort of predictive ability. But the but those are but those are really good examples because um, I, I think the the thing for us has been that like look, we're gonna we're gonna sometimes just completely miss one of those blips because who could have predicted them? But they go away just as soon as they've uh, they've come. I think the the stuff that we don't want to miss and the things that we've been betting on. So if you look at like things like our investment in the retail space, like we spend millions in retail co-marketing and channel marketing, all this other stuff in, in country. And that's an area where I fundamentally am not betting on the world going back to status quo. Do I think we're gonna be as um, sort of like 
an exaggerated position as we're in now that like it's like um that people can't physically shop in stores as much as they would like and all that no like there will be some um like step backwards but i think one of the one of the things that was interesting for us was like when we saw all of the uh, the growth in uh digital commerce happening one of the things that was really intriguing was that like i think it was um maybe about eight weeks into uh, the pandemic kind of looked at the data and saw the percentage of commerce being done online versus offline and one of our uh, retail folks just uh, commented on us you know what's really funny is that like that doesn't even compare to the pre-covid numbers for uh, Asia and Europe and some more advanced markets and so it shows you just how laggard Canada was in e-commerce as a whole um, so for you to believe that we're going to go back to the pre-COVID numbers, that's like, that's a fundamental, um, uh, fundamentally like pessimistic view of e-commerce uh, in this country and what our retailers are gonna do. And of course, I think like, you know, we're, we're betting on all of our retailers, small through uh, large, that are gonna use this as a learning moment and recognize um, that look, like there's still, especially there's still some categories, of course, that you wanna like touch the product, you wanna to talk to a salesperson and so on, but there's a lot more we can be doing in the digital space. Some of it's just about the product being available online. Some of it's about digital marketing. Some of it's about being able to tra transact, being able to ship products at a, a decent price point. Uh, and then sort of other uh, tangents off of that, uh, like only one in 10 of our retailers in this country are exporting globally. And so I think this this year has been a wake up call for the retail. And so when our marketing team looks at that kind of thing, I think we are we're going to place our bets and we would rather be wrong thinking that it's going to stay at these very high percentages than to um, to underinvest in that future, because it just like it, I just can't see I can't see how we um, like uh, I was talking to my dad. Um, who bought um, online groceries for the first time as a result of the pandemic. There are certain categories that he's going to want to go touch the avocado and know that he's getting a great avocado. But then there's an awful lot more categories where he's like, I never want to go back to a grocery store to go buy these staple items that I can just get shipped every week. So I think we, as users, as consumers, like we're not going to forget those types of experiences. So we will, we will always be a little bit more um, tipped towards e-commerce than we were in the past. So those are that's another example of a, a way that we're just viewing the world a little bit differently at this point. I want to talk about explaining leads to clients. CallRail gives you the call tracking you need to measure the success of your marketing efforts in real time. Discover how many calls you received from your Google ads, organic searches, social media efforts, and so much more. And hey, that's not the only reason we use CallRail. CallRail seamlessly integrates all of our call and conversion data with over 700 marketing tools and platforms, including Google Analytics and Salesforce, for a deeper insight into what's happening. Start telling the complete story to your clients. Try a free trial today with callrail.com. And thanks to Instacart now delivers Costco. And again, yeah, oh, as yeah. a parent with four kids, I'm like, I, I had my entire Costco delivery brought to my house. And they're pretty staple items. Like, you know what you're buying, right? And you, yeah. You're, you're regular. So exactly. Like, and it's so like, um, and, and hopefully that's saving you time and you can, you know, have more fun with your family or time to read, sleep, whatever. Like, like and, and I'm not doing impulse purchases, which again, yes, I doesn't like, but my wife loves. I, I somehow tricked myself into thinking that like we, we um so there's um there's a local um company called Fresh City Farms in Toronto and a lot of the produce is uh is from around the the GTA and then they have of course some like other items and stuff like that or that you can get. And so I at first convinced myself it's like okay, the chocolate bar that I buy, I'll buy one for the week and it'll come in the delivery. Um and of course, like sure enough, I still like go out for a walk and like I'll get like a uh, you know, a, a dark chocolate bar from the local Sobeys or whatever, but I feel better about it because I'm walking. But it's, but it is interesting that like you, um, like your your impulses will still find a way.
You're just like, they're just <laughs> even late one night, this, uh, again, local delivery group called legends hall in Vancouver was yeah. like, you get all these local restaurants. And I was like, well, I haven't been out to restaurants in months. And all of a sudden I saw that like Shambar was on there and all my favorite restaurants. And so I started ordering all this food and then we had to like somehow figure a way to get into my freezer and then I had to send stuff to my brother. So he put in his freezer. And cause again, I was just impulsively throwing stuff in my cart because it was way easy. Yeah. And, and, and they're bringing it to my house in the week. So it's like, I think the opposite was also true as I overbought because it was so easy to do. Well, and the, I think you notice really soon, like pivoting back to the marketing conversation uh, is, um, and this is why, like, so we, uh, we we're working with a, a charity called Digital Main Street across the country and, uh, and, and collectively with us and our other partners have a, a goal of getting 50,000 small businesses in this country, um, retailers specifically and sort of individual artists and, and entrepreneurs, getting them transacting online, which means, hey, you need a, a Shopify storefront and you need to be able to transact and, um, and get your digital marketing set up. And, and, and I think that you know, what you're experiencing there is the, the businesses that are able to change and make these small tweaks uh, that are so convenient for their customers are going to be able to not only survive the pandemic, but thrive going forward. Um, Shopify um, uh, had some data early on. It was in the, the first six weeks of, of COVID. And they, what they saw from their merchants, because of course they have those who have just offline services uh, and then those have both offline and online. And what they could see was that those who were able to transact in multiple ways, so our true multi-channel retailers were recouping 90% plus of their lost revenue during that um, core time in the, the pandemic when everything was locked down. Um, and so it gives hope to us that like, okay, yeah, the way that we transact is, is one thing or the other, but you have to build in uh, this resilience into your business model. And that's why digital is so uh, so vital uh, for, for each and every small business in the country. Yeah, I, uh, I was searching to see if anyone would deliver. I, I, the one thing, I, you know, my wife asked, what do you miss most during the pandemic? And it was like going down to Granville Island and getting these bagels, rosemary salt bagels from Siegel's, uh, you know, bagelry. And, and, and sure enough, they, you know, they were not big enough. They're a small little place within Granville Island. But mm -hmm. then someone ran this, ad campaign, uh, you know, searching to see if you know, I could get them delivered or something like that out here in the Valley. And Granville Island Delivery was advertising saying, we will pick up anything you want from Granville Island and bring it to your house. Oh, and so it was like, so I could actually choose between all my favorite little shops in there. So little shops that maybe couldn't handle the delivery side of it. Yeah. Put it in my shopping cart, pay the delivery fee. And then the next day I was eating a uh, rosemary salt seagulls uh, bagel. That sounds delicious. And having not really had lunch <laughs> today, I'm I'm very into that story. I love that that anecdote. But yeah, I think uh, you know we've got to do more as a country um, to to help these small businesses. Um, you know, make the leap. Uh, I think for many of them, it's not so much about um, the, you know that they they can't. It's just that look like it's 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 a one or two or ten person shop and. How do you how how can you be a really successful digital marketer when like your day job is just running the operations of a of a business? So I I think we've we've still got to do more, but I, I hope that even as we uh, as in some places we start to open up, of course, like you know, there's wave two happening in in multiple parts of the country. Um, but I really I, I hope that um, the businesses take this as an opportunity to, to learn new skills. I hope they take advantage of, of government programs and charitable programs and stuff from companies like ours for sure. And then I think for, for people like you, you've always been so good to the small businesses in your area um, and just trying to be a, a marketing thought leader kind of within your sphere of influence. And I think that that's where as an industry, we could also do a bit better to, um, to help um, those businesses that may not have access to an insights team and may not have an e-commerce division, like all that kind of good stuff, because um, a lot of these things are actually um, fairly easy to set up once you once you get once you get going, it, it's it's okay. But it's just um, you know the it can be a little daunting before you know where to begin. Yeah, we we run a school out of our agency uh, called Jelly Academy, and we've. Now, I think it's almost like 600 people we've put through our, our training program, but our core uh, kind of measurement of our school is mm -hmm. uh, Google Analytics and the Google Training Academy and getting your Google certificates, which has been amazing. Like the, the training that's available, the resources that are available, 
you know, you, you're not charging for the certificates yet, but it's been an incredible way to educate people about the language, the acronyms, and just how to understand that world. Love that. And and we parked all of our information in the Google Small Business Hub. So if you just Google that, um, we've got our collection of, uh, it's it's a collection of information that we think every small business should know, you know, things like how to get listed on Google My Business to uh, how to use basic products, um, uh, you know, like uh, advertising, uh, G Suite or Workspace and, uh, and, uh, and all that kind of good stuff is there. And then we're trying to do a bit more. I hate to make this a plug, but I just like, I think what I'm most excited about is things like free shopping listings, where for our shopping uh, sort of tab, uh, that now gives merchants a way to get listed without necessarily paying for advertising, which I think has been a, a barrier for most uh, mentally on how to get, um, get started on Google. So those things are worth uh, setting up and actually even for like large uh, retailers they should be thinking about free shopping listings as well and uh, and how to integrate that into their full uh, set of solutions we um showing a friend that with even within the google my business app if you download onto your phone within there they will help you get ads going and it's just kind of a, a ads 101 and it's an incredible jumping off point for people just getting started on the google ads platform yeah it's uh, like it's it's great and like the um, you know, and of course, there's like there's other starting points in and and I'll do credit to sort of other platforms that can help small businesses. But I think like you know the main message for me is that you just like if it's not you, we used to say this at at our events actually, just like okay, you know, look to your left, look to your right, whoever came with you to this event, like one of you has to be tasked with learning this and just getting going. And there's very um, you know the only mistake I think I think I think at this point that you could make would be just to do nothing. Uh, in terms of the online space. I think anything short of nothing, um, uh, you're gonna make some progress and there's gonna be people there looking for your business, for your industry, um, and, and, and the opportunities are both local and, uh, and, and global. One of the things that we've been trying to push uh, as well uh, has been a new tool called Market Finder. Uh, and so um, this one is, um, so it is a little bit, you know, trying to take the, the the sort of like the insights that you can glean from things like Google search. And it allows you to put in your, your website and sort of understand like the product category that you play in. And going back to this export story, um, we'll be, give you a report on like, okay, here's, here are the markets that um, are right for the type of business that you're in, the category that you play in. Um, and so again, just an, like another uh, sort of off the shelf solution. My team and I have to do a better job in making sure that businesses across this country know about these tools. Um, but I think, yeah, this is this is a relatively new launch. Um, so definitely, um, uh, definitely uh, check it out. Use it as an agency with your with your clients, uh, and then certainly if you're like a, a retail business and you can tra transact online, uh, Market Finders are just a really good like first uh, or second step to uh, to use uh, in terms of your. Uh, decision-making process, especially if you're starting to think about, hey, where we might, where might we sell this outside of uh, country? And speaking of which, you mentioned one in ten are selling out of Canada. Yeah. Um, we had the Honorable Mary Ng on the show, who's from Ontario, yeah. and there is a hundred thousand uh, dollars available for a business to want to export their product outside of Canada. So you're paying seventy-five cents on, you know, or the government's paying seventy-five cents on the dollar up to a hundred grand. So you're essentially getting seventy-five grand. If you spend a hundred grand to export your product outside, and that includes market research, online ads, you know, digital promotions, getting your e-commerce ready, it's it's incredible. Yeah, that's fantastic. I think you know one of the things that, and I don't think that the job is done yet, but uh, I will give credit uh, to. Uh, uh, to uh, uh, Minister uh, Ng and um, and and other uh, political leaders who've been able to uh, put together these um, uh, the, these relief programs for small businesses. Uh, it's uh, Ontario. Um, we got a significant amount of funding for uh, for Digital Main Street and other partners to help bring small businesses online. I would love to see that in in other places uh, across the country as well because I think that the job isn't done but uh, and I don't think anyone's saying the job is done but I think that that's where it's been nice to see that we've rallied together as a private and a public uh, sector uh, sort of like working group at all levels uh, to help small businesses uh, because I think it's only um, it's only to our benefit long term like it is, is like I said it's like 
the the pandemic is just a forcing function uh, for us to to catch up on a lot of things that um, Canada really needs to get right to be competitive for the next decade or more um, uh, going forward. So Fab, I need to ask whether it's friends or family or someone who meets you for the first time, do you ever get asked about how does the algorithm work? Teach me the secrets <laughs> behind the, the clock there and, and how I can rank organically. Um, I mean, that's, I think that's, that's stopped a little bit more recently. I used to joke, like when I first got the job um, uh, many years ago, we would joke that like, oh yeah, I cover letters uh, L through Q and just <laughs> like, that's my job. Um, no, I mean, we typically keep that as like church and state. Anybody that works in the ad side is not allowed to be at all involved um, with our the organic side of the the algorithm, I think they, uh, and I think that a bit of the um, certainly the SEO gamesmanship um, has uh, gone away as we've tried to just focus on like what's what's the most relevant um, and being able to not necessarily focus on individual um, uh, words or one specific signal and applying more machine learning to really, truly understanding what does that user really want to get in this moment? What would be high value content for them? And therefore here's, uh, what, um, uh, what is baked into a search results page. I think the better we've, uh, we've improved the product on, on that over the years, the last people, People ask me on how to game the algorithm because I think that they kind of understand that's like, oh, we're it's going to point to the right content, the in um, right in quotations, like the most valuable content for that user, um, regardless of of what uh, what tips Fab might might have for me. Um, speaking of content, evergreen content, um, I want to talk about. So I discovered over COVID um, Mark Rober, who's a YouTuber who puts out these incredibly nice. educational, nice. inspiring videos. So I, I've never consumed so many YouTube videos, but I just uh, Zach King would be another one that I just fell in love with. He's like mm -hmm. this magician. Mm -hmm. uh, but YouTube and, and evergreen content. What's your advice to, to brands and marketers about just creating evergreen content and just what they can be doing on YouTube today? Yeah, I think, um, well, first, the first is that like video is still the most um, uh, evocative platform that we have, right? Sight, sound, motion, like that's, uh, it's it's everything there. So if you're thinking about a content strategy, uh, both sort of like the macro level paid or not, um, video should be um, a, a very critical part of your strategy. But video um, can be contextual. And and should be contextual. So um, a, you you shouldn't have a one size fits all strategy. That is, hey, we create a thirty second ad that lives over here, and we're just going to port that over to other platforms. Um, what we've been saying for years and years about YouTube is you should have a dedicated YouTube strategy. And I think for the first time over the last couple of years, what we've seen with audiences on YouTube and the, the rise of so many great creators like the ones you've mentioned is that YouTube is now should be kind of the first place in your brand marketing um, campaign, not a cousin to or an offshoot of something that you're doing offline let's say so like that's like that's the first thing is that like if we you go from once you successfully transition from a youtube is part of my marketing strategy as a brand builder to youtube is the first place that i think of then you can open the doors to okay so now the content that i make on that platform is long form episodic content that is trying to build a more loyal following, um, whatever that might be. Uh, and then shorter form content that might be more sort of advertising based and, uh, you know, six second bumper ads or, or you know, uh, whatnot. Um, I have to say that like on, on our, our side, um, the, the content marketing that has uh, worked for us the most has been actually white papers and, and the, the written word. So we've, we're heavily investing in something like Think with Google. I love that e-newsletter. If you exactly. can, listeners, if you aren't subscribed yet, Think with Google is probably one of the most, I think one of the most resourceful e-newsletters out there. Uh, that, that's kind of you to say. And we, so we, we put all of our research there when we do things like we have a series uh, called Inside Google Marketing. So whenever we're saying, hey, here's how we're marketing our products, often with our tools, uh, that's where we're writing about it. It's on Think with Google. So so I think that I am still a novice and learning how to use video in a meaningful way for our business. Um, but the um, but it's what's clear to us is that uh, what we've learned from content market on the content marketing side overall is that it's certainly it's not a 
um, it, it's not a one and done thing. It's not something that's a, just like, hey, we're going to immediately get returns. Thankfully, I think we've all we're past the generation of clients asking agencies for a viral video. Like I, I feel like that's dead now. That meme is gone. But the but it is it is hard work. Like if I look at what our teams learned in in terms of content, um, it is um, you know we now have you know four or five people on our team who touch content. Um, it involves. Uh, everyone from so the most um, sort of new person to the team right up to uh, our most senior leaders thinking about what would be relevant for our audiences. We're regularly getting information from them. We're trying new content formats, whether that's video, whether it's podcast, long form, short form, um, publishing white papers, whatever. And it, so it's, it requires a lot of experimentation. So I love YouTube um, for sort of all businesses. I would resist the urge to make it a short-term strategy. Um, and I would resist the urge to try to be uh, relevant just in the moment, let's say. Like, um, so um, again, we so we published some research in, I think this would have been April, because uh, we were trying to see what was happening on YouTube in the context of COVID. And what was interesting is that we were seeing that for brands that were making COVID spots, they were getting dramatically higher breakthrough in our testing, which meant that um, the, the audience was watching and paying attention, saying, oh, okay, you're putting something out that's relevant to me. But what we saw for most businesses was that even though you could drive breakthrough by creating video that was relevant in, in that particular moment, the, you know, the, the thing that we were all thinking about at the time, we saw no significant lifts for most of those brands on impact metrics, consideration, intent to buy, like some of these things. And so my conclusion, and you can have multiple conclusions from it, um, but my when I looked at this, um, and this answered the question for me about a lot, like it was relevant to COVID, but sort of relevant to a lot of our content marketing is like, does everything that happened in the world require our commentary or our brand to be involved? So a fly lands on Mike Pence's head. Do we as a brand need to put something out in the moment just to be relevant? Well, that data showed me that like, yeah, you can certainly get people's attention because it's relevant in certain top of mind. But if is it going to make them think more highly of your brand, want to purchase something, want to, uh, you know, whatever, like all those things? Not necessarily. And so um, that's the other thing that I think about a content strategy is you, it's long term and you have to think about the long term relevancy of that content, what you're trying to do um, and not necessarily just be of the moment, I think is one of those things. And for us, a big learning from this year has also been the shift in how we measure our content marketing, regardless of whether it's a written or video or just uh, audio, we've shifted to um, uh, measurement methodology that's trying to get at the, the loyalty and shifts in um, sort of the underlying behavior in terms of their likelihood to actually purchase products. Um, so, uh, and, and we don't do content for every single one of our, uh, our products and brands and that kind of stuff. In many cases, like, so I'm talking very generally, um, we do a lot of like first party content that we build for something like our advertising business. So our B2B content, and then for other things like our devices and services, we want people like you and uh, people in um, uh, the tech review space and all those uh, kind of folks on, on YouTube to use our products, use our solutions, talk to our people and have them be the way that we actually connect with people in an authentic way using a platform like YouTube. That's amazing. Um, one exciting update in Canada this year was Google Verified came to Canada for a few industries. So we've been doing that for some of our clients and it's been really cool. Again, oh, going past, showing the little badge on there. It's just been a really great enhancement to the Google, my business and the Google Maps listings. You're the, you're the best at this. Like you, like I, I talked to a lot of agencies, but like you are, um, uh, in the, like I like you probably wouldn't do this because you're so humble. But like for for folks who are working with Darian and team, like you you're um, you know we we joked about this before the call. You know a lot of our local business products better than a lot of uh, our you know Google employees even. So so thank you for being such a champion of that. And I hope you uh, you know give us feedback when when things aren't aren't working uh, quite well for you. 
Well, to go from level seven to level eight is very difficult, Fab. So I just, I don't know who you can tell, but I'm just saying. <laughs> like, I, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll send a, I'll send a memo internally. <laughs> no, but it's been, it's been really cool to see you guys continue to push the envelope. And, and again, I think maybe some even listeners have only known Google as Google search, right? Yeah. And maybe some are learning that, man, there's all these other options as you see ads within the kind of the Gmail world display, remarketing, YouTube, just all of the options that are out there. Yeah, which, and the the options can be, um, you know, a bit uh, daunting at times. I think one of the things that's been really heartening over the last couple of years is if we do more universal or unified ad campaigns. So that, that can you can establish sort of one campaign that cuts across many different surfaces for Google um, and a lot more optimization that's done in real time by our machine learning uh, algorithms and so on. So I hope we see more of that. I think that we can we can certainly work harder um, on uh, sort of the, the long tail small business uh, space and, and hopefully you know things like this, um, uh, the you know, advancements in free shopping listings for those types of merchants are are really helpful, and I hope that we continue to sort of push the the boundaries on that kind of stuff because I think that will make it um, more accessible for a lot of a lot of uh, folks to to actually start with Google more than I think a lot of businesses will start with like a Gmail account, uh, and I think that one of the things that we can certainly make sure that um, is as apparent to them is that. Google My Business and some of these other tools and sort of basic ad campaigns are really great, you know, first, second, third rungs of the ladder for you to uh, to build your business off of. Yeah, and and just two other things that I've always, people are shocked by about Google. Um, those that are on boards of nonprofits, charities, um, there is a grant for nonprofits and charities in Canada called the Google Grant. Make sure you check that out. Yeah, um, yeah. And secondly, Google Analytics, it's free. If you don't have it yet, grab it for your website and you can set up goals within your analytics that let you know when things are triggered of things you want people to do. People spending more than five minutes, signing up for a newsletter, making a purchase, having Google goals within your analytics is such an enlightening aspect to have to your site. If you don't have it yet, something you can do for free and you can go to the Google Academy to teach you how to do it. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Um, Fab, <laughs> this is incredible. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, we have to do it again. And, and yeah, so much yeah. to share. Uh, I still remember you had the most amazing decks of, I've ever seen. I, and I, I know maybe you were part of building those, but they were they were moving and they were glorious and amazing. So uh, maybe one day we can even have you on and you can even share one of your decks and we can make it a visual. Uh, yeah, I, I would be happy to happy to do that. Always always happy to hang out. So just yeah, let me know a topic and we'll pick a time. And uh, and if you want to talk about something like, sort of like more narrow within marketing or just bounce around a little bit, I'm I'm more than happy to hang out. Thank you so much for for the support of you and your team, and um, and uh, and we'll do anything to, to help you guys out. It's awesome. So, um, marketers, CMOs, um, small business owners that are listening, we're going to put a lot of the notes, um, websites referenced in the show notes. Make sure you check those out. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you can visually see this. So, hello, uh, and those that are, of course, listening on audio, uh, thank you for joining us here, and uh, we'll see you next week on the Jam. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded at the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editor, Travis Jeffers.